0: Dominica is underway here on ESPN+. Sebi Salazar, my good friend, Hercules Gomez over there in Los Angeles. Herc, how you doing today? I'm doing a lot better than most, that's for sure. How you doing? Ah, I can see you've been spending some time on hashtag USMNT Twitter. We will, of course, uh, be discussing the U.S. and Mexico qualifiers coming up throughout the show. We also, though, have an exclusive interview with Jesse Marsh. Of course, his RB Leipzig going to be playing Bayern Munich later this week on ESPN+. The extended version, Herc, of that interview can, of course, be found on our podcast, which you can find in the ESPN FC feed wherever you download your pods. All right, enough of the mishmash. Let's get to the real business of the show at hand, Herc. We are coming off qualifiers all across CONCACAF. Let's start with the United States, who in Nashville against Canada in their first home match, of the qualifiers ended up dropping points in a 1-1 draw. Herc, we'll do this uh highlight style. We'll start in the 13th minute bad oh, no. turnover from Serginho Des, and Canada nearly takes advantage. Uh, don't give it to that guy. Don't give it to Fonzie Don't give it to Alfonso Davies, the best field player
1: in CONCACAF. Let him run riot. And then how about this? Fortunate nonetheless, uh forced a good save, but that was as good as it got for the US men's national team, really.
0: Maybe a chance here for the U.S. just before the half. Christian Polizic somehow gets it towards goal and off the post. Yeah, cuts across P. Folk, and this is a difficult finish. It's coming behind him. He does
1: really well to get on target, then off the post.
0: Here's your goal for the U.S. Beautiful build-up, really, the whole play. Brendan Aronson, no surprise, the finishing touch.
1: Yeah, we've been asking for him, I don't know how long. Three weeks we talk about Brendan Aronson, and this is why, because he's so productive,
0: club and country. The lead, well celebrated in Nashville in front of all those fans, but it was short-lived. Seven, her count them, seven minutes later, Canada strikes back, Kyle Lair in the tap-in. I mean, he's beaten DeAndre Yedlin for pace, and then John
1: Brooks just stops. I don't know what he was thinking, just completely left his mark.
0: And Kyle Lahren with one of the easiest finishes he will ever have. Tough to say who was closer to a third in this one, but it might have been Canada in the 78. Tejon Buchanan just misses.
1: Yeah, you don't want John Brooks getting out wide isolated like that
0: because that's going to happen. So there we are, the U.S. 1-1 against Canada in Nashville and through two match days in CONCACAF, the United States, as of right now, finds himself below the proverbial line. Fifth. And, of course, we know the top three go automatically to the World Cup. Fourth then goes into the Intercontinental Playoffs. Other results from Wednesday. Mexico, a winner over Costa Rica, 1-0. Panama, shocker, a 3-0 win over Jamaica, El Salvador, and Honduras, drawing by a final score of 0-0. All right, Herc, so there we have it. Two points out of six for the United States to start this qualifying cycle. But more importantly, the match against Canada. it's a bad result. It's a bad performance. We gotta blame somebody, who are we blaming first? The player or the coach? Coach, Greg Berhalter. Mm.
1: (laughs) He's managed to make these players who play at some of the best teams in the world, best leagues in the world, Champions League players, look average at best. I mean, how tired did they look in the second half?
0: Tired? Is that on Greg Berhalter?
1: I mean, it is. I mean, did you see any subs until, what, the 83rd minute? His hand was forced with Sergio Dest. What about that? I mean, what about after that? Do something. And never once, never once did I see Greg Berhalter on the sideline, animated talking to his team, trying to relay a message. It's just going through the motions. You're playing at home. This is a World Cup qualifier. In the US, you're playing at home. If the key, like I've told you, and many coaches before him have said is secure points at home, steal them on the road. You have to secure them at home. You have to be proactive at home. If you know Canada's gonna come in, sit in two low blocks, you have to be good at penetrating the lines, be more creative with them. And you're honestly, honestly, the tactical presence has to be better. I just felt like he was beat from the get-go.
0: Good to see your allegiance to the locker room hasn't died yet. You're still going to pick to criticize the manager uh, who, who over you, the players. Who's,
1: who, who's to blame here, Sepp?
0: You tell no, me. I, I'll agree with you here on, oh. on Berhalter. Oh. To a point. To a point. You okay. didn't mention the players at all. Here's well, what you Berhalter says. Said, who do we blame first? After the match. I can understand that it looks like we should have acted sooner. 100%. I feel like that's where the narrator voice comes in and says... They should have acted sooner. It, it, there's no doubt about it, right? He waited until the 83rd minute. That's 21 full minutes after Canada had already equalized. Uh, at that point, are you really giving you know those players who come into the match any type of chance to make an impact, is that enough? No, and I'll tell you what,
1: Taylor Twelman on social media made a very good point. This is the second game of a three-game window. Mm. So you're not just thinking about the legs for this game. You're thinking about beyond. Where are the subs? It's like you, you're you not watching what's going on in front of you. You can't see your team lacks creativity, lacks tactical presence, is just lackluster. Your best player is on one leg, and you refuse to make a sub. It, it just baffles me.
0: So you mentioned Taylor Twellman. we're going to hear from him in just a little bit. Uh, we talked about the subs. Can we also maybe criticize the tactics as well? I'm not a big tactics guy, but I think Serginho Dest in a back four is like pretty clearly not oh, not working at this point. We can we can kind of we can say that for sure that's not working out. The other thing that I, and it's not working out for for either, for the team or for Serginho Dest. The other thing that I would say is Um, They're not being dangerous, Herc. They're not being dangerous at all. They're not creating chances. That's got to come down to tactics, right? That's on the manager because there's a ton of attacking talent out there. They should not be... Um, as toothless as they are with this much talent. I gotta that's think a that's a good, down that's the That's a good phrase,
1: right? Toothless because that's what it is, Seb. You look at the who was in the midfield. Tyler Adams, you had you had Sebastian Legette, and you had Kellen Acosta. Kellen Acosta is a very good box to box, but he's not gonna be that guy who screams creativity in that final third. And Sebastian Legette maybe wasn't on his best day. So you have three players who weren't very good creatively in the center of the mm-hmm. field. And in Christian Pulisic out wide coming off COVID, not training for a couple weeks, looked Clearly, clearly rusty. Clearly winded. He's on one leg. Brendan Aronson running amok, trying to do what he can do. Peefok not really connecting with anybody. It was just very, very subpar on the creativity front. If you know they're going to come in and sit, you have to be better at breaking them down. Now, I'm not going to go sing platitudes and uh, figure it out. No, 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 no. Tell these players what to do. Show them the way to do it if you can.
0: uh, There's plenty of frustration in the uh, U.S. fan base, but there was some frustration from players afterwards. Specifically, let's listen into this quick soundbite from Christian Pulisic.
2: I think we we need new ideas at times. I think, um, yeah, today I think we were just, uh, we didn't test them enough, whether it was not being direct enough or not. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure, but it just felt like we, we, couldn't, we couldn't break them down. Obviously, they defended well, but, uh, yeah, we just need, you know, some new solutions, and, uh, yeah, obviously, it wasn't good enough.
0: Herc, we need new ideas. We need solutions. Uh, can you be a little translator for me here? Is, is Polisic sending a message to his manager? And, and not a very subtle one. <laughs> Listen, the
1: mantra... The DNA, the ideas, that is brought to you by the coaching staff. That's a message from the coaching staff down. You try to implement, translate that message on the field. That's what you try to do as a player. Whatever the coaching staff wants you to do, that game plan, is what you do. When Mm. a player, your leader, no, no, not just any player, your leader, the symbol of this national team is saying, we need more ideas. We're not good enough to break them down. I mean he's almost taking a breath and trying to say like how do i say this how do i put this politely this is on the coaching staff this is on the game plan you're sitting at home i don't care if it's nashville if it's columbus if it's new york whatever you want you're at home versus canada and canada's a very good team they've proven that they've grown but this is still your home where correct me if i'm wrong but the last Six cycles, I think, or last five cycles before last cycle, you only lost one home game? Is that it? And now you're going to go off and lose points like that? I mean, die of something. There, there's, you can lose. You can die. But make it worth your while. Die of something.
0: So I, I sense the, the frustration there from Polisic. I wonder, though, if, if he's not partially responsible for this. Like, if I look at the game against Canada, Herc, is it not all the young stars that, that kind of failed this team? Uh, Christian Pulisic was was not the difference maker. Certainly not if you're going to compare him to what Alphonso Davies was doing in the same game. You see one player making a difference every single time he touches the ball. You just you don't see that uh, when Christian Pulisic, at least right now, is playing with the national team. I know he's coming off some health concerns and some time away from the game. Sergio Des, we said this last show, does not look like a Barcelona player. Um, I mean. I don't even have to. I haven't gotten to what Weston McKinney did as a as a Juventus player, as a professional, to not be there for the team. I mean, this is ty- even Tyler Adams, or even Tyler Adams, in that foolish yellow card that he takes when he takes away clearly one of the U.S.'s yep. best scoring chances. This is the golden generation that let him down last night, isn't it? I mean,
1: it's on these players for sure. They're shooting their mouth off as well. Nine-point week. We want to dominate Mm. this region. We don't just want to win. We're going to go in here with young guns. Whatever you may want, just stop. Stop. There are a bunch of individuals right now because they may be Champions League players. They may play in the best leagues in the world. But as a team, there is nothing. And we've said it here. Seb, this is going on weeks where we said, okay, they beat Mexico twice. But did they really convince us? They beat Mexico the way of the old regime. Fight. spirit. Set pieces that way, the way that Bob Bradley did, the way that Bruce mm. Arena did, the way those teams have did, not the way that Greg Berhalter and this team has sold us they can do. You call them the golden generation, right? They still have to prove it. Well, you don't go shooting your mouth off until you prove it. They didn't know what this World Cup qualifying process will be now. Now they're on the outside looking in. And going back to Christian Pulisic, Yeah, I mean, his last two goals were penalty kick goals. This is the face of U.S. soccer. Don't compare him to Fonzie. Don't disrespect Fonzie that way. And I mean it with the utmost respect to Christian Pulisic. But Fonzie's on a different level. Canada's undefeated with Alphonso Davies when he's in the lineup Mm -hmm. in the World Cup qualifying campaign in the last 10. And also, this man in eight World Cup qualifying campaign matches... He's produced ten goals, four for himself, and assisted on six more. Put some respect on this man's name.
0: Yeah. I wonder if the U.S. is starting to cross the line between confident and overconfident. And and for a long time on this show and other shows, you know, we've said we like the confidence from the young sure. kids. But it's not just the nine-point week talk. There's a few other examples. Christian Pulisic effectively guaranteeing a World Cup spot in Qatar in one of his Players Tribune articles. And this from John Brooks. And this is one that jumped out to me because it's specific to Canada and it's from a veteran and it's from a guy who, as we see in that highlight right there, uh, was part of the breakdown on the goal itself. When asked about the Can- Canadian team before the game, he said, what was the score last time? 4-1? Yeah, that's all? Okay, when you say stuff like that, when you remind the team of the score the last time you played, you don't think that's ending up on the bulletin board for Canada? There you go,
1: there you go. not just Canada. El Salvador. You don't think these Mm -hmm. Central American countries, you don't think everybody's got you circled on your calendar. Oh, look at these kids. They play in the Champions League. Serginho Des plays for Barcelona. I would love to embarrass Sergio Des. Let me have the game of my life right now and show these guys what is up. You put an arrow on your back. They're going to learn because they're young, but you can't be that naive. You could be young at a World Cup qualifying level, but this is locker room talk. You don't give anybody bulletin more material.
0: All right, Herc. You know what they say. It's not a uh, a brawl until the third man tags in. So let's bring in our third man here on Football Americas, Taylor Twelman, <laughs> joining us on the show. Oh, good job, good suit, look as always. Our man is uh, is dressed to impress. Always showing us up here uh, on the show. Look, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> let's um. Can we talk like emotions first before we get into the, the quick topics at hand? Because you're you're always good yeah. for um, yes, for that course. angle of it of it as well. I see like a lot of words that are coming up: angry, worried, disappointed, confused, frustrated from U.S. fans. Is there a word that that sums up how you're feeling after last night?
2: Uh, Shocked. And Mm. shocked in the sense that you had two different groups. The Nations League final, they won that with the A team, so to speak. Mm -hmm. The Gold Cup wins that with arguably the B-C team, whatever you guys want to determine that. And so you've got a collection of players of over 30 players, and yet you look at it and say, wait a minute, all three groups of players have shown up with deer and headlights, because hmm. that's exactly what this is. Herc, you know this better than anyone. You don't know what it, what it's like to be a parent until you have a kid. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what these kids are doing in World Cup qualifying. I don't care where you play around the world. World Cup qualifying is a level from here to here, and they have shown a naive Approach. They have shown an ability to not step up their level. And we're talking some players playing at the biggest clubs in the world. That is why I am shocked that we're sitting here having this discussion only two games in.
1: I wish I could say that I'm shocked, but I will ask this. What have they shown? In those two tournaments in the summer, the semifinal versus Honduras and the final in the CONCACAF Nations League or the Gold Cup, where you say, you know what, this is a well-worked team. You know what? There's that DNA. There's those those wing progressions. There's that proactive possession-based football that they Mm -hmm. promised us. Where has that been? They won the way of the old. That's why this doesn't shock me too much. But I agree with you. It's shocking that they would go into these World Cup qualifiers being so naive.
0: Yeah, there's a big difference between what happened over the summer and what's happening now, though. They were winning at least over the summer. They're not winning now. And in qualifiers, obviously, that's not acceptable. Let's talk. We got two number nines here. Let's talk about the position. I mean, frankly, guys, the attack stinks right now. I got to think that's down to the fact that nobody has grabbed this position. Taylor, where do we stand uh, between Josh Sargent, PFOC, all these different guys who have had their moment and not really come through? And as we look ahead to the game against Honduras on Wednesday...
2: What's the move? It's a good question, Seb. Uh, I would say over the last 25, 26 years, this is the lowest point of the number nine position in the history of the U.S. men's national team. In saying that, if you would have handed me Josh Sargent and Falk, I would have switched the games they played. I would have played mm-hmm. P Falk against El Salvador, knowing that I can play a little bit more direct. I can play out of pressure. S- S- Herc, you know this better than anyone. Playing on the road in Concacaf, it doesn't need to be pretty. It needs to be effective. But when you know you're going up against Canada, where you know, by the way, in 2019 they gave you the blueprint. Blueprint, excuse me, in Toronto, how they were going to play you. You need more mobility. In fact, I would have not even played Sergeant through the middle. I would have played Pulisic through the middle. It was way too predictable for me against a team where you knew. You knew at the end of 2019 this is exactly how Canada is going to beat you. They gave it to you. They they showed you exactly what they were going to do, and yet you, you played right into their hands. If those are my two strikers for this these two games, I'm flipping the games to give them something else. But to be honest with you, I probably would have played Pulisic through the middle because knowing if he's stuck out on the left, he's going to be pinned and you're not going to see a ton of influential touches from him.
1: I don't know about the low point for the strike. I mean, I started a World Cup game, so that I was, was about to <laughs> say. I was about to say. For, for the U.S. Miss National Team. But, but going back to what you said, I actually have that jotted down. I would have switched to strikers because you look at Josh Sargent. P. Folk isn't the guy you want holding the ball and he doesn't really have that ability to turn. He's more Mm -hmm. of that post, and he's going to finish things off. Josh Sargent may be missing that goal, but the intangibles that he has... With the ball, he's clean, he turns, Agreed. he combines with people. That would have been great against Canada. We talk about that inability in that final third to break down lines, to have somebody drop. Every time they gave Pifok the ball, it was literally coming back to whoever gave him the ball. It, was, it went right back to you. It was a lateral pass. Agreed. Never once did he turn. When Josh Sargent came on, the very first thing he did was turn with it, drew a foul. I agree with that. But here's the mm-hmm. reality of things, Okay whether it's on the road, whether it's at home, you have to create chances for these players. And you're not creating chances for them. The first game, you were jumping that midfield line. It was route one. The second game, that midfield was nowhere in existence. This third game, even if it's Ricardo Pepe, if you give Ricardo Pepe this chance in Honduras, because he's got that, I guess, that that naivety of being so young that he could be bold and it won't affect him. If you give him that chance, he still needs these opportunities. That's something that the U.S. Men's National Team has not created, those scoring chances.
0: So here's where we are with the number nine. We're basically going to play a false nine. That's like the best hope now for Honduras is maybe to play a false nine. Are we that far <laughs> from bringing in, bringing back like Jesse Zardas into the conversation? Obviously, he was healthy. I think he'd be in this team. Um, I think he, started, or, he was healthy. I mean, are, how far are we from some of those names getting into this conversation when you talk about these number nines and the opportunities that time after time are getting, are getting squandered? Let's get to the big elephant in the room, guys, Weston McKinney. Um, Taylor, you were you were real strong on this on social media. I guess, uh, what do you make of it? He's, he's suspended for the match. We now know he'll, he'll head back to Italy. He's gonna miss the game against Honduras as well for breaking the team's COVID-19 protocols. Um, what's your reaction to it? And then moving forward, is this a player that, that
2: you can trust to be a part of this team? It's an interesting way to put it, Seb. and I took a lot of criticism a month ago when I said the pressure that this team will feel is unlike any pressure they have felt no matter playing for Barcelona, Juventus, Chelsea, and what, in Dortmund. And everyone kind of responded on Twitter and whatnot and said, what are you talking about? This is CONCACAF. You're representing your country after the biggest failure in its history. And yet how many of these do we know are leaders? How many do we know know what leading means? Because here's the funny thing that I find about all this. Everyone on the outside wants to tell me Weston McKinney is a leader. Is this the leader? Because it's literally 10 days. It's 10 days of the three biggest games. Your country's got to get going in World Cup qualifying. It's a home game. And you have the audacity to be selfish in this moment. And we all know, all three of us on this show and everyone watching this, that it it had to be a serious transgression. Gresham, excuse me, in order to be suspended for two games. So Mm -hmm. lose me with he played Fortnite. He went outside walking with no mask on. No, this is not what this is. They're handed the protocol. They see the protocol. It says black and white. I've seen the protocol. And you violated it. And everyone knew you violated it. And the coach called you on the bluff. Good on Greg Berhalter. Because if you Mm -hmm. are going to win a locker room, this is the only way you're going to do it. Because if he doesn't stand to his ground... You know as well as anybody, Herc, that young team knows exactly where the line is. And then no matter what happens in Honduras, they know they can get away with anything. And Weston McKinney was called out for the second time. The Juventus transgression, That's it right I understand there, right? to a certain extent. Yeah. Because you've been in that room for a while. You've. You, it, it's difficult. I understand it. This was blatant. This was blatant. And this sent a message to everyone in that room, coaching staff, to the 26th player on the roster, I'm more important than you. You know what? I'm out. I'm out. I don't, I'd rather lose with 25 guys that are all in it together than someone that thinks they're better than the team or someone thinks they're bigger than the team, especially in this moment. I'm sorry. I, it's inexcusable to me. Yeah, and that's the issue right
1: there, right? This isn't the first offense. You have that Juventus party hanging over your head. And, and maybe Taylor and some other people are privy mm-hmm. to information that we're not privy to. But when this all comes out, and if it looks as bad as we suspect, it's going to be worse for Greg Berhalter because now you have a decision to make. How do I proceed going forward? And as a team with already a bunch of doubts, that's not what you want. You want one of your best players in here. You don't want to have the doubt of, well, what do we do now? Do we call him, call him in or don't we?
0: Yeah, but don't you have a doubt if you call him in and how he's going to behave based on what he did at Juventus, based on what we've seen Absolutely. now? Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's kind of the problem. Like, is he, is he worth the risk moving forward? Obviously, he's a player who plays at Juventus in the national team pool. There's not many of those. But to some point, I mean, you know, isn't there more to be done here no, with but to, this? To, Do you Seb, think he's back even, in the pool? To,
2: yeah, but, Seb, Seb, to your point, though, like, he hasn't been good for the national team. Hmm. He hasn't been good, other than the Nations League final against Mexico. Has he been that dominant? No, he's been too lackadaisical on the ball. He's given away possession too many times through the middle of the park, and they have shown them that time and time again. Now, I'd argue the system may not be working for Weston McKenney with the national team. He may be played out of position talking with people with Juventus and where he's thrived for them versus where he's thrived for the national team. But just because you're playing at Juventus, when you come into the group, I'm sorry, you can't act as if you're bigger and better than the team, and Greg Berhalter and the staff call them on his bluff.
3: Mm.
0: So the pressure now then switches, right, to Greg Berhalter and that staff. I wonder if Mm -hmm. we really truly believe, Taylor, if come Wednesday night, Greg Berhalter is managing for his job. Because I would suggest if we're applying the same standard that we did to the last coach, Jürgen Klinsmann, then they're basically at around oh. the same spot of the qualifying cycle. So if Greg Berhalter is behind the eight ball badly coming out of Honduras, is his job on the line?
2: It better be. Otherwise, like, like what, what's the point of this? I mean, have we not learned from the last World Cup qualifying cycle? Have we not understood that? I thought it was very, very, very interesting post game that Greg Berhalter said we're still undefeated. Ah, uh, you're not gonna. You're gonna have a tough time getting all of us to believe that one because the way this staff has managed both games has really raised an eyebrow with me. Because quite frankly, and again, Herc, you know this better than anyone. The away game in Concacaf is the one that you need to play the team that isn't stylistically more beautiful. Or more cohesive it's effective it fights it gets the job done knowing that when canada comes around you punch them in the face instead of punching canada in the face they knocked it around the back four for 25 minutes and it, was, it took the crowd out of the game you would have thought that the United States was on the road watching that mm. game with both the energy of the crowd, the anxiety from the crowd, but most importantly, with the way the team approached the game and then you don't make a sub to the 83rd minutes. If his job is not on the line, and I know that Greg Berhalter with True Serum would say his job has to be on the line. That's the point of these games. These are the biggest games that you coach and you play in. So if he doesn't get a result in the Honduras, then guys, I don't know what we're doing.
1: Context matters, right? Context matters. There are 12 more games after this. So is it a must win for the U.S. men's national team? I don't know. Is it a must win for Greg Berhalter? Absolutely. Because context matters. Do not forget how he was hired. You spoke about Jurgen Klinsmann. Jurgen Klinsmann coached the German national team and then coached this U.S. men's national team to the group of death and got out of the group of death in, uh, in Brazil to earn a second term. Then things went south. Okay, there was context there, how it went south in the Gold Cup, everything. This right now isn't what we were being sold. Context matters to how he took the job, and you can best bet, yeah. yeah, he's in trouble if he doesn't win this game.
0: Yeah, I said it on ESPN FC. The, the U.S. Soccer Federation invested way more money and way more time in Jurgen Klinsmann. They were quick to pull the plug on him when it went south. Two games out of 10 is 20%. Three games out of 14 is 21%. If you're worried about missing another World Cup, which to me would be the ultimate fear of the Federation with 2026 on the line, unless you really trust Burhalter to get the job done, you can't keep him. I guess, Taylor, if I'm a fan, I'm, I'm, I'm grasping at straws. Has there been evidence? Is there something to say either within this mm-hmm. team or from Greg Berhalter? Uh, there is a turnaround coming, if not after Honduras, at least against Honduras.
2: Yeah, I think Honduras is going to be massive. I know you two are going to look at that 11 with a real microscope. Does he play three center backs? I think he does. Mm. Does he play players that know the environment in Honduras, in CONCACAF, that can get your result? Absolutely. And if he learned anything from the first game in El Salvador, that it's completely unacceptable to play that kind of game when you should dominate the game. Now, I'm not talking about dominate possession because you can have anemic possession the way you had against Canada and it means absolutely nothing. But I'm talking meaningful possession where you have the opposition on their heels. The last two games, we haven't seen it at all. Unequivocally, the answer is no. We haven't seen any of that. And that tells me, remember, I said deer in headlights at the beginning of this conversation. That's what everyone looks like to me. Nobody looks like the Nations League final winner, the Gold Cup final winner, nobody's going into these games saying, this is us. Yeah, they may talk, in Seb and Herc, I think you guys did a fantastic job of the finer points of, you may talk in the media, but now all that talk is complete hogwash because your first two games, you laid eggs. So now the pressure's on you. So good luck. So the first 15, 20 minutes in Honduras is going to be an absolute nightmare. How mm. do you handle it? Hey, but if way, he handles it well, then I think we may see very similar to the Snow Classico with how the U.S. changed under Jurgen. Herc, you know that better than anyone. <laughs> where there. all of a sudden backs were against the wall. Everyone yeah. was having conversation. Sporting News has this article. And Jurgen's backs against the wall. Then they go what? Unbeaten in their eight or nine games after that. Point is this result is massive not only for the first round but more so for the rest of the round of qualifying because we're going to learn a lot about the mentality of this group. Yeah, the
1: reality is last World Cup cycle you lost your first two home game or first two games in two of the most arguably or I shouldn't say arguably two of the most difficult games which was Mexico in your house Absolutely. and Costa Rica away. Now you can't get results El Salvador away. And Canada at your house. So, yeah, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing in this team that makes me think right now that it's a given, that they would pull yeah, this out.
0: If you look back historically at the Hex last time around, El Salvador and Canada weren't good enough to be in it. Those are, the, those are in theory, some of your easiest games this time around. <laughs> to Taylor's point about possession, 72% possession against Canada. Two shots on goal to show for it. All right, uh, Taylor, thanks so much for the time, man. We'll do this again on Thursday, uh, hopefully with a little more optimistic spin on what we've seen from the United States.
4: Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: Un justo ganador. A just victor. Mexico over Costa Rica, 1-0 in Costa Rica. Possession was split. It was right around 50-50, Herc. But I mm. thought Mexico were quite... No, no, I mean, that was the actual statistic. You can't argue me on that. No, no, I'm not uh, arguing. I thought no, I'm thinking of my was, head if it's just... <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mexico quite comfortable in this game. The lone goal comes from Orbelin Pineda on the penalty uh, drawn by Andres Guardado. What do you think of the Mexico performance? Because the result, again, beyond reproach. But you know in Mexico they will be analyzed on how they played.
1: I don't want to say it was comfortable, but they were definitely in control. And the reason I don't want to say it's comfortable because it's never comfortable for Mexico. Look at the closing minutes of that game. Uh, n- literally in trouble, literally a shot off the crossbar, a-, a call of a handball. Uh, it just felt, and it's, this is always the, f- the sentiment or the feeling with Mexican mm-hmm. fans, like, hey, we're there, but in the back of my head, I think something could go wrong. They have this sentiment, but six points two games. It's hard to argue with the efficiency of this Mexican club. I mean, they talk about the possession, the shot creation, the control. They had it all and they won the games. What else do you want?
0: Well, and I think the 6 out of 6 is even more impressive and more uplifting frankly after the summer that Mexico had and all of the injuries that this team has now been able to pile up in the last uh, few weeks and the absences. So, let's get to our three questions then our L3 question so what are we gonna start with here number one aha I guess this is maybe the only bad thing to come out of last night has Rogelio Funes Mori who got a second consecutive start in these qualifiers blown his shot at the starting number nine job for the Mexican national team
1: no no he's not keep this in mind don't think of what you feel or how you think, think of how Tata feels and how mm-hmm. he thinks. He doesn't call Rogelio Funes Mori, he doesn't convince him to come wear the Mexican national team jersey if this man's not gonna be his ninth, if he doesn't see him in Qatar. This man is going to Qatar as long as Tata Martino is coaching the team Hey, to Qatar. a point,
0: Herc, to a point, right? Tata Martino's not gonna keep Hold rolling on. him out there Hold if on. he continues to not but score. But he scores
1: goals, You could say it's, you could say it was a, a bad Gold Cup. He scores goals at the Gold Cup, And he's got two games where he's not scored, Mm -hmm. but he's producing other plays for other players, okay? Who will play if not Rogelio Funes mori If you had a man right now... How about the guy that
0: scored the game winner against Jamaica? Uh,
1: Henry Martin? There are Americanistas who don't believe in Henry Martin. Now you're going to tell me a whole nation's going to believe in Henry Martin? You're an Americanista. Why has he never been the man at America?
0: Well, because they go out and sign form forwards for that position more often than not. But the point about Rogelio Funes Mori to me is he has blown his shot. He's blown this shot, which was his best shot, because now it's not an open. It's now it's an open competition, and before I don't think it was. I think he kind of had the job dead to rights. He it's had the advantage assessment. with Tata Martino. Okay, I'll buy I think, that. I think at this point, not only has it opened up to guys currently on the roster, but guys like Raúl Jiménez have a much quicker path back in, and somebody even like Chicharito. You didn't bury that ghost. If Funes Mori scored goals here, it would be a much, much more difficult case to make for Chicharito. But now, the fans who love him, please, please, Funes Mori has blown his best shot at this. San- Santi
1: Jimenez, Chaquito Bebote, has got a better chance of putting that number nine jersey and playing than Javier Hernandez does at this point. I think that is dead in the water with
0: Tata Martino. Okay. There is
1: no Javier Hernandez with Tata Martino. You want Javier Hernandez? Tata Martino has to go.
0: Okay, all right, let's go question number two. uh, Tons of injuries, right? Tons of absences for Mexico. They're piling up the latest, geez, Alexis Vega, who hurt his ankle in the game against Costa Rica after a bright start, it must be said, he was playing uh, very, very well. So of all the Mexican players that are missing her, no Raul Jimenez, no Chucky Lozano, no HH, no Diego Lainez, they missed Tecatito for a game. Uh, Who have Mexico missed the most? Because I think it's fair to say, while the results have been what people have wanted, the performances have left a bit to be desired. Correct. That's fair. Uh, this
1: challenge by Francisco Calvo is one of the dirtiest challenges I've seen. It's exactly why you need VAR in this competition. He should have been out. It should be a lengthy sus- suspension. Uh, who knows how bad the injury will be. He will miss significant time. That said, he was playing so well, Alexis Vega. Uh, but in now, with all the players who are absent, it has to be Chucky Lozano. It's Chucky Lozano because he's irreplaceable. It was Chucky Dependencia. It was, it was how much you needed this player, how dangerous he always is. He's the only co- constant. Raul Jimenez was he was informed when he was healthy. He was a dangerous player. But nobody as dangerous as Chucky Lozano in any position you put him in, mm. whether that's a position, out right, or on the left. This man creates havoc. He was the only player you could count on if you were Tata Martino to consistently put the ball in the back of the net, get others involved, and be dangerous. Mm,
0: that's not good news, because then what do we make of the fact that Chukilo Asano said, I'm not 100%. Don't call me in this time around.
1: Yeah, well, if he's not 100%, he knows his body. He knows what's best for him. You can't call him in. But mm. look what's happening, Seb. You said it yourself. Well, hold on. It's not just playing for Mexico there's a lot more that comes into playing with your national team. Mm. He plays in Italy. What? That's a transatlantic flight. That's going to be, what, 15 oh hours Oh, my gosh. Get players here. have
0: never done that in qualifying His ever body in the history. doesn't feel
1: right. doesn't feel he can do three games in a week and you're going to judge him?
0: Yeah, it's qualifying. It's the most important thing you can be at. Now's the time to be here. Well, yes, apparently so. not. He wants to be with Italy. He wants to be in Napoli. All right. Question number three of the three questions. Was the bad summer, ooh, ooh, look at that. Look at, producer Beto woke up and chose violence. Was the bad summer a fraud, an exaggeration? Were were the reports of the demise of L3 greatly exaggerated after the Nations League and Gold Cup final defeats to the US?
1: Yes, they were greatly exaggerated because this team Hmm. is still going to dominate teams. And for the better part, the region, because they're a good team. They're a very talented team. They play a very good style. They're very deep. They're still today the best team I in CONCACAF. I think Konka that's Cap. what we're
0: finding out. They're deeper than we ever thought they correct, were. Correct,
1: correct. But, yes. but here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's a yes, but also a no. Because mm-hmm. that was in CONCACAF, where you expect them to control, to dominate. And I spoke to you about how Mexican national team fans feel. You tell me, if not in the back of your mind, there was a World Cup tomorrow, you don't have that. Right there in the back of your head, that little creeping thought of, oh, that quinto partido. Oh, are they going to choke this time again? Oh! And that's the thing with Mexican national team, as they see the potential, but it's always the same thing, that final leap.
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, the summer losses were very real. Like, the the injured stars not having Raul Jimenez come back in time, Chucky Lozano getting hurt in the Gold Cup, that was real. Those losses, they hurt. That was real. Maybe people will argue Nations League didn't matter, Gold Cup didn't matter. Um if you're a Mexico fan, and if you know anybody like this, or you'd let me know, who lives in the United States, those losses were real. They very much hurt. And the other thing that was real this summer that isn't exactly national team is we saw another summer, and we talked about this on the last show, where there's more and more and more U.S. exportation. And so maybe maybe Mexico's not as bad as we thought this summer, but I think some of the ground that the U.S. has made up this summer, that was not exaggerated. I think that is very real. And I think from a Mexico standpoint, that in most ways is what you worry about the competition with the U.S. Yeah, agreed,
1: 100%. And <laughs> you see, you talk about the exportations, also the competitions. It's one thing to see, well, the Mexican national team, U.S. men's national team, but then to see Liga M- MLS, and I know mm. it was an all star game, I know that hit hard for a few people.
0: Yeah, and not for nothing. Next up for Mexico, Panama, who has been the surprise. Of this qualifying cycle so far. I mean, they smashed Jamaica. I didn't see that coming. Nope. And they probably should have beat Costa Rica. They should not have beat Costa Rica. Uh, you know, stop me if you've heard this before. Keylor Navas stood on his head. So I think that Panama match could be a real, real test for Mexico.
1: Absolute test. Because now we're going to be forced to see different players. Rogelio Mori will surely go to the bench. We're going to see a different nine. And also, no and Alvarez. Big chance to see Luis Romo.
5: Are you tired of uncomfortable, stuffy clothing when you're on the move? Task Performance is here to revolutionize your active lifestyle. Crafted with their innovative organic cotton and bamboo fabric blend, Task Performance's Carrollton Collection is Task's all-time most popular active wear. Task Carrollton Collection is breathable, moisture-wicking, and provides USPF 50-plus sun protection, keeping you fresh, cool, and comfortable all day long. Task has harnessed the natural performance qualities of bamboo to deliver amazingly soft and durable apparel produced in an ethical and sustainable manner. Whether you're hitting the gym or on the trail, the golf course, traveling, the office, or just around town, TASK Carrollton Collection will help you feel better, move better, and live better. Available in dozens of colors. See what better looks like at TASKPerformance.com. Use code SPORTS to get 20% off. That's code SPORTS at TASCPerformance.com. TASK, creating the most comfortable performance apparel on the planet.
0: All right, let's uh, change gears here to the women's game, National Women's Soccer League. Huge announcement, Herc, over the weekend, uh, but one that was... Met with quite a bit of consternation. On Sunday, the league announcing that their championship game will be played on November 20th. That's a Saturday in Portland at Providence Park. Immediately, the feedback started rolling in from players on social media, not just about where this game was going to be played, specifically the playing surface in Portland, uh, and also the start time of this game, which would be 9 a.m. local time, 9 a.m. Pacific. Ashlyn Harris, of course, a longtime U.S. women's goalie, said, quote, we deserve better. Ali Krieger, who we've had on this show, asked, uh, questioning the league on Twitter, why they chose turf. Perk, I guess let's start with the turf um, part of this, because you've actually played on the turf in Portland. Is it that big of a deal that, that a championship game shouldn't be played on it?
1: Listen, I know Merritt Paulson, the owner of the Portland Thorns and the Portland Timbers. I've gone at it with him on social media about Mm. turf. I don't like turf. I've had numerous knee uh, surgeries, injuries, and when you're on turf, it feels like you're skating. I've played day games on turf. Your feet, it's very difficult to handle the conditions. It just changes the way you play, the way you can play this game. And at the end of the day, you want it to be an eye-catching event for the fan. Right. Having it on turf in a day game is not what I would call eye-catching. It's just bad. If you
0: could avoid turf, I would always avoid turf. So I like the point that you make about this being a showcase event, and I wonder if having it on turf really hurts that that badly. I know it could lead to a more combative game, but the trade-off in Portland is that you do get a spectacular venue and one that, unlike probably all the other NWSL venues, um, we'll be full. We'll be packed, and, and for a showcase event, that's very valuable. Let's talk now about the start time, though, because that's that's the other part of making this a showcase event. Look, the league is doing this on purpose. They're, they they want this game to be on big CBS, and that's the window they're being afforded because this game lands in smack dab in the middle of college football season. You're not getting a window afternoon, so obviously, if you're on CBS, you're going to get a much bigger number, Herc. That's valuable to the league the trade-off is you know what does it do to the potential showcase asking these athletes to start their day and i'm sure it's not 9 a.m but at whatever time that would start i mean i imagine like a 3:30 a.m wake-up call for this so,
1: so they don't care to compete with other sports other channels other time slots so they put it at 9 a.m they also don't care about the player or the health of the player or how difficult it will be for mm. said player In a final, in a championship game, if the game's at 9 o'clock, what am I waking up, 4.30 to eat at 5 a.m. so my food can Hmm. digest and I'm ready? I've got to be at the stadium at 7 two hours before the game so I could – do my treatment and get ready? What time do I do activation? Like, when does your day start for a 9 a.m. game? It's insane to me. If you think this is normal, you have no idea what goes into these athletes to actually prepare themselves to play a game. I-, I could only hope they have a strong players association to try to back them or change something or, or at least try to come to some sort of compromise, because this is insane to me. 9 a.m. kickoff. You don't know what it does to these players' bodies. Not just the game day, but the day before, how you prepare. What you need to actually do to come into a setting like this is not ideal.
0: Yeah. um, You mentioned the other options. I don't know how many there are. I mean, Portland was kind of the last remaining team that bid. Orlando and Louisville bid on the final, but then kind of um, pulled out of that. The other thing that I would say um, about this game is just, look – You have to get it on big TV. There's a a huge value to that no matter what it costs. Um, And I wonder about that relationship with the players union because these players were definitely caught off guard by this, Herc. That's one thing. The communication, whatever we want to say about the NWSL and the decision here, the communication to the players probably could have been a lot better. For the Major League Soccer Weekend, the good, the bad, and the ugly, Herc. We start with the good. I'm wondering quite how this is good. Henry Kessler with classic <laughs> time wasting here uh, for New England against uh, Philadelphia. Herc, how do we define this as good? Well, what happened? Picardia, the dark
1: arts, Concacaf. Usually it's an America team, a major league soccer team, a Canadian team getting CONCACAF. Now it's Henry Kessler, look at it. There we go, Henry, a Picardia. Don't always be so naive. The rest of the region does it too. It's okay sometimes.
0: Hey, and they were man down and it worked. Win the game, won nothing. Bruce Arena, man, I'm telling I'm you. I'm telling you, they're you running away with him. the Eastern Conference. I think it's a 14 point gap to the yeah, second it's, place it's teams not, in the it's East, not supporter close. shield as well. Uh, New England having a great season. All right, the bad. Here, this is just like the whole state of Texas. Uh, FC Dallas lost to RSL, Houston lost to Portland, Austin lost to Vancouver. So they are last, dead last, and whatever's past dead last in the Western Conference. 11th, 12th, and 13th, respectively. Um, Her tough, tough time for soccer fans in the Lone Star State. Uh,
1: Between the three states, they've accumulated 33 losses with a negative 103. Goals against, oh my goodness. Not good in the Lone Star State. Uh, well, Dallas is picking up, but Houston 16 games without a win. Austin and Dallas Dallas each with one win in the last, I would say, what, five, six games. It's the first week of August, so not looking good there either.
0: Yeah, Texas providing half of our coaches on the hot seat top five the other week. Shout out to the guys at the Striker Texas, by the way. Uh, they do great coverage of all things Texas soccer. I just feel bad that these are the teams that they're getting to cover right now because yeah. between Dallas, Austin, and Houston, my man not a whole John lot of Arnold, he deserves better. Going on exactly. Can we get him something, uh, some good? Although, hey, bad news gets clicks too. Don't forget it. The ugly here: Romeo Beckham signs not in MLS, but with Fort Lauderdale CF of USL, of course, the affiliate team of Inter Miami. Herc. Uh, why is this ugly? Romeo Beckham's a very handsome man.
1: It's just an ugly look, my man. This is... Uh, for, first you hire your best mate, David Beckham, and Phil Neville, the coach, into Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, no nepotism there. Now you're going to place your son, 19-year-old Romeo Beckham... Well, by the way, where did he last play? Where are his credentials? What's his soccer resume? Uh, can, can we... Anybody want to do a Google search on that? it's just an ugly look. you know. It's one after the other for Inter Miami. This is his man's personal playground. It's not a good look.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely not the way you would start a professional soccer career, right? Like if David Beckham with all of his access and connections, if he was trying to launch his son's soccer career, he wouldn't do it at Fort Lauderdale CF. This seems like something that they wanna do as a family and they're gonna do because they have the access to do it. But if you wanted to really launch a true professional soccer career, would you do it in, in a Major League Soccer, USL, League One club? No. You'd have your son overseas where there's a ton of pro jobs and a ton of pro opportunities.
1: I'm sure David Beckham has no connects in Europe, so this is what right. he could do. Right.
0: I mean, is it really problematic for Inter-Miami beyond that? No. No. I mean, no? <laughs> based on what they've already had go bad for them, I mean, think about this is This is just a little cherry. Cherry on the top. Is there no chance for a beautiful father-son redemption story here? You don't think Romeo could play his way up from Fort Lauderdale to Inter-Miami, Herc? Are you already writing this off? (laughs) I would love nothing more to see Romeo
1: Beckham triumph at Fort Lauderdale and move his way up the ladder to Mm.
0: Inter-Miami.
1: And and, and get... get Get Guain off the nine to see if he could do it there. I would love nothing yep. more to see that happen. Yes, I would love. That yep. yeah, would be great.
0: Romeo Beckham in the good for the good, the bad, and the ugly will be quite the turn. Yes, All right, uh, plenty of European qualifying action coming up this week on ESPN. Speaking of, we got France and Finland. That's Tuesday at 2:45 p.m. Eastern Time. Game you can watch on ESPN Two and also streaming live on the ESPN app.
4: Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall.
0: Jesse March, manager of RB Leipzig, then joins us here on Football Americas. Coach, let's start with the obvious. We're getting you in an international break. I wonder, do you love the international break as a club coach or do you hate it?
3: I I like it. You know, I mean, there's a lot of coaches here in Europe who don't like the international breaks because they feel like their players are gonna get injured or, you know, it's tough to control what what they're doing when you're not here. But, you know, I think it's really important for them to have the international football experience. And then it gives us a little bit of a pause here to kind of reanalyze where we're at with different things and sort of regroup before we get back into the hectic schedule once again.
0: You mentioned that hectic schedule, I want to get into the Champions League draw, all that stuff, the transfer window, but we got some time with you, so maybe we can go back to the start, not necessarily of your coaching career, your playing career, because I'm I'm very curious how a young man who grew up in racing or started growing up in racing Wisconsin then makes a living in professional soccer, like what's that path for you before the rest of the world starts to get to know Jesse Marsh?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting path that, that I think had a lot of luck and fortune, and I met good people along the way. So, I, I mean, I had good coaches when I was in Wisconsin, but then I was fortunate enough to play for Bob Bradley at university. I had good timing that right when I graduated from university, started MLS. And so I was in the first draft, and I played for Bruce Arena and Bob Bradley in D.C. United, arguably the two best co- American coaches ever, and they introduced me into what professional football is and was, um, and then I was had a long career where I played with a lot of really good players who had played in Europe, had played at high levels, had played in World Cups, and they were incredible role models for me. And, and I kind of used all of those experiences to put together an idea of what I thought I should be as a football coach. So in the end, I think, um, you know, it, it it provided me a foundation with what I think professional football is and then and then I was able to kind of create my own philosophies of football, of style of play, of leadership, all those things from 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 all of my experiences combined.
0: We hear a lot about coaching trees. I think like when people talk about the National Football League and the NFL, uh, obviously when I look at your playing career, uh, it's undeniable. Almost wherever Bob Bradley went, you kind of seemed to follow. Uh, with him specifically, like, why did that relationship work so well and what impact did he have on, on you as a coach?
3: Yeah, I mean, he had a big impact on me as a player and as a coach. I think we vibed early on because we were both, like, very strong competitors and, and we hated to lose. And we liked training. We liked working, you know. So that kind of, I think, work ethic and, and desire to, to be successful is what brought us really together. Um, yeah. And then, you know, over the years, I think there's there's a lot of similarities between us and there's a lot of differences, but certainly my ability to appreciate his journey, his path, what he's achieved, what he's been about, how I've learned things from him, from his experiences has, has been very beneficial to me.
0: Are there some differences between you and Bob Bradley and Bruce Serena and those guys that you kind of worked with early in your career and kind of where you are at now as a coach?
3: Well, I think you know, Bruce, Bob, and I are all incredibly different people. <laughs> if you had us in a room, I think you'd have three very different energies, right, about, uh, uh, amongst us. Um, and I think, you know, what the key for each one of us is kind of understanding what we're good at and what, what things we like in players and in teams, and, and then our ability to put it to practice. And so um, I think that's key as a coach, is just knowing who you are and, and knowing how you want to communicate and what kind of environments you want to have, I'm um, being true to that. So I've, I've learned that a lot. You know, now I've learned it in different countries with different languages and different cultures. Um, and so, you know, that's always the challenge is how do you how do you adapt and grow and, and, and continue to get better?
0: The first stop on your coaching career is Montreal, and it's not by any means unsuccessful, right? You have a good season there, uh, but don't continue. When you look back at that time, what was kind of the biggest takeaway from the Montreal experience? Because it seems like since then, you've always found the right spot for you, like the right fit for Jesse Marsh.
3: Yeah, well, I'm really thankful first for that experience in Montreal. It was very difficult. expansion teams are very difficult. I watched Josh Wolfe and I know him well and what he's going through right now in Austin and he has a lot of really good things around him it and, he, and he's going to continue to develop and do a good job there in Austin. but it's such an incredibly difficult situation. And you know when you're in the middle of that kind of uh, environment and, and maximizing what you get out of it every day and learning more about yourself, and what kind of leader you want to be. I mean, I had an idea as a young coach, what I thought I wanted to be. And what I learned with that experience is I had a lot to learn. I had to figure out how to stay in my zone, in my lane so that I could do the things that I was good at and then allow people around me to still do the things that they were good at and and figure out ways to work together. And I think that's been sort of a, um, a part of my identity now as a coach is not just the environment I create with the team, but the way that I work with an organization and the way that I try to embody what the fan base is, what the club is, and, and make sure that I represent that in the work I do every day. So, And, I, and again, I learned so much of all of these things from, from successes and failures of, of the way that it went in Montreal.
0: After Montreal, the next organization is New York Red Bull. What is it about the Red Bull way that just clicked for Jesse Marsh? Because it seemed like there there was was pretty immediately a click.
3: I mean, I I think I'm aggressive by nature, right? Sometimes recklessly. (laughs) And I think it kind of fits our idea of (laughs) football. Uh, but I, honestly, I think it just kind of fits the way we think about football. Like, And I you know, I, I like to, to be around young players. I find that they're naturally aggressive. I feel like they are ambitious. Um, I, I like to be a teacher. I like to try to uh, talk about development and create uh, processes in, in what we do with the team and in, in individual players. And then this style of play I just find is so rewarding with the, the way that I like to think about football, the way that I like to live my life. Um, so, um, I'm very thankful. I can say that I'm very thankful to have made this connection with this organization in general, and I've learned so much from it and, and, and I've tried in every way to pay it back at every chance that I get.
0: You obviously make the jump then to Europe. What was the the biggest thing that you learned in New York that prepared you for that move?
3: Well, I, you know, when I was in New York, I traveled a lot to both Leipzig and Salzburg, to visit uh, the teams here and the coaches and the sport directors and to see the way that they were doing things and, and the ability to have uh, real insight on, into what goes on on the inside of, of high level football. And certainly, you know, what, the way that things were created here by Ralph Rangnick and others, um, it was more detailed, it was more intensive, it was more clear. Um, and, and I think in many ways it rewarded me um, with the way that I started to think about football and the way that I started to apply it to the way I thought about football. And so um, it, it wasn't like everything new when I came here. It was, and, and sometimes people say, what did I learn about coaching as, a, as an assistant coach in the Bundesliga? I mean, obviously I learned things, but the job was more about helping Ralph and the team here at RB Leipzig be successful. And that was my focus every day. And then, yeah, I mean, I learned more about the European schedule. I learned more about the German language. I learned more about the German league and, and, and the culture of the way that things work in football here in Europe, obviously being ingrained in it, I, I was able to experience it a lot more firsthand. So I took that with me, you know, I was able to apply it in Salzburg. It also brought, I think, more pedigree to my name and more experience, which is also helpful. I think, you know, when you're in Europe here, you need, you, you I think it was helpful for me to come as an assistant and develop a little bit of pedigree before I stepped into the head role.
0: Was it tough in some ways too to go from being the head guy to an assistant?
3: No, that part was relatively easy. It's not, for me, it's always about whether it's the head coach, assistant coach, whatever, making sure that we're maximizing every day of what we're getting from our players and our team. And so the difference between being the assistant coach and the head coach in terms of the work isn't that much different it's just as the head coach you're the one more standing in front of the team presenting what the plan is presenting what we're doing every day but you know I mean quite honestly it was still wrapping your mind around in whatever role you're in to get the most out of the group Um, and you know I I think we did a good job of that when I was here at RB Leipzig the first time.
0: Is it oversimplifying to say that like Red Bull soccer is just plug and play because we see you have the success in New York. We see you at Leipzig. We see you at Salzburg then back to Leipzig and you seem to be a good fit everywhere. Um, Like, is there differences in between how it manifests itself in each spot or is it really truly very much the same
3: system? No, it's, I mean, the, a lot of the philosophy and principles stay in place, but the, the, understanding of how to apply those things to each group to each league to each level I think is a little bit different Um, and that that's something that as a coach I think is something that keeps me that drives me you know is this idea of trying to come up with solutions with in different situations innovating um, getting better learning more uh, you know, and certainly now with all the different experiences that I've been able to have, coaching in Champions League, coaching in different leagues, you know, coaching in different languages, um, means that you know it's I've I've added more complexity, I believe, to who I am as a person and as a coach, um, and as a leader. That's ultimately, I think, the most important. So, um, yeah, I mean, this journey's has been a lot about that. You know, it's been a lot about really trying to understand in different environments how to maximize potential
0: hmm in Austria as a player right I'm sure you make the jump to the Bundesliga to the German Bundesliga and maybe things are faster like there's something tangible that you can hold on to as a player as a manager when you make that jump what what changes
3: well the I think the opponents, provide you with bigger questions, right? And you, you have to be really clear as to what you're trying to achieve with your team and then with your team against every opponent. Um, you know, in Austria, the, the, the Salzburg team, the, the level of our, of our roster was pretty much above everyone else. So we could make mistakes and still be successful. Here you have to be a lot cleaner with everything you do and, and be on top of it because um, if, if you're off a little bit with a match plan or with lineup decisions or, or what you think the, the, the game will require, you can be punished uh, easier. Uh, so, and I learned that the first time around that I was here as well. So, you know, it challenges you uh, more to think more carefully about exactly what you need out of every day. But that keeps you sharp, right? That challenges you. That that, that part I enjoy. Um, and you know, we've 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 had a little bit of a tough start here, but I can actually say that the work and from what I was hoping we would achieve on a daily basis, we're actually ahead of schedule from where I hoped we would be. So, you know, the results can sometimes cloud the what's actually happening, and, and the results are always important, but more so it's about trying to get the most out of every day and make sure that there's clarity in terms of what we're trying to achieve.
0: Do you sense a big difference at Leipzig now as the head coach compared to when you were there as an assistant? I know it's not been that long of a yeah. time, but but is yeah. there a difference?
3: Yeah, maybe there's a difference in terms of expectations because I think the club has continued to grow um, and there's a little bit different player pool and and there's a few different people that work within the club, but but for the most part, I, I, I feel like um, I'm thankful, first of all, that I came here as an assistant first because I learned so much about how everything worked from the inside. And I've been able to use those experiences, I think, to, to guide where I think we're trying to take the team now and the club now. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's always, things here have always been done at a very high level. It's very professional. Um, it's a very intelligent club. It's a very, it's, it thinks carefully. Um, it spends carefully, it, every, everything we do here, we try to do very responsibly, um, and, and and to make sure that, that it's with a with a, a vision of what we want to be in a week, in a month, in six months, but also in a year, in two years, in five years. And I think that that's, that vision has rewarded this club um, immensely, right? And it's one of the, for me, RB Leipzig is one of the best stories of world football in the last 15 years. So... It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be the coach of this club. It's a big responsibility, but it's one that I, I thrive in a, and one that I, I wanna I you know I wanna be here. I wanna help this club take the next steps and I believe I'm the right guy.
0: Jesse, is there any more pressure being an American coach?
3: I think when you're successful, no. <laughs> But maybe the results aren't as don't always go your way, then maybe some scrutiny comes. but you know the fact that I speak the language, the fact that i 'm ingrained in the culture, I think gives gives people a better sense of who I am and and my belonging um, so i i 've been asked that question a lot here in europe i 've been pretty successful since i 've been here, so that 's pretty helpful um, and, and obviously it 's always good when the when the team is doing well but But for the most part, I feel like because I've ingrained myself in in the way of uh, European football, that there's more flexibility and and I think more people are accepting of of what the team is. And that's the most important of, of ultimately what the team is.
0: Speaking of Americans, I want to talk about a couple of players that you've worked with. Tyler Adams, man. Everybody who talks about this kid just, you know, they gush about him. Mm-hmm. Um, you've known him from a really, really young age. And I think we're all impressed, even at this current age, that he's the leader, that he's as mature as he is. Um, I feel like I remember some MLS preseason interviews with you four or five years ago. It seems like a lifetime ago. And you were telling us the same thing. Like, he's kind of always been like that, hadn't he?
3: Yeah. Um Tyler is a, is, a, is a mature young man right and and he's very grounded, so you know I, I, I think I, i've known a lot of guys and I played with a lot of guys that were young and, and talented and then they went to Europe and they started driving really nice cars and you know wearing really nice clothes and jewelry and all these things and then you know you, you, you almost felt like they were changing a little bit and they kind of lost track as to who they were and what got them there um, And Tyler has none of that, right? He only has the desire to be the best person and the best player that he can be. And he knows that a big part of that is about the work that he does every day. So... Whether he's here or with the national team, whether he was with the New York Red Bulls, where, wherever he's been, I've only seen a guy who works his ass off every day and gives everything to the team and is about improvement and development. And, and I think that that's rewarded him and he understands, he's humble enough to understand that that, that will continue to reward him and that is the key to his success. So... You know, and even being here with him once again is, you know, our, our paths have always kind of found ways to come back together, and I've seen how he's grown, and then I see in ways that he needs to continue to push himself, and I think with all players, it's, as a coach, you're trying to really get your finger on the pulse of who they are as people and players and what, what makes them tick, what makes them good, but also the things that they need to do to get better and better. And so with Tyler, that's been a really fun process and a fun journey to go through, and and he's the type of guy where you give him information he's able to put it to practice almost immediately
0: uh, what about Brendan Aronson that's a player who I think a lot of folks were not surprised to see him have success but maybe find it so quickly when he made the move to Salzburg um, what did you take away from your brief time working with him over there
3: he has a he has an incredible eagerness to do whatever it takes right like almost an innocence but an eagerness and and you know he's relentless the way he comes to work every day. He's got a short memory if things don't go well. He's just about trying to think about what, what else can he do? How, how much harder can he work? How much more can he learn? How much more can he give to the team? So his overall mentality of, of pushing himself to just do whatever it takes to be successful is what makes him special. And it was really fun to be around I knew that a little bit about him, but I think once we put him into our environment in Salzburg, and and the level of training was higher, and the level of opponents was higher, and the challenges were bigger, he ate it up. He he couldn't. It was like he couldn't wait to get out of bed in the morning and get to practice. Um, So that that I think will continue to reward him. And then he his special gift on the pitch is that he can just run. He can. He can run nonstop. Tyler has a bit of that too. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's the desire and the will, along with some of the physical qualities that I think make both of those players uniquely in different ways, but, but special and, and gives them a real chance to, to continue to grow and get better.
0: Coach, I don't have to tell you what the U.S. national team has been through in the last three, four years. Everybody who follows the world game knows How excited are you for the upcoming round of qualifiers with a lot of these kids and young players who you've worked with um, and seeing them finally try to kind of put the U.S. back on top of at least the Concacaf Mountain and back in the World Cup?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the 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 commitment that Greg Berhalter has made to young players gets me really excited, right? And now we've seen in the last year, even in some of those times where they're playing games in, in strange places without fans, that the, in, in some ways maybe it's a better thing for this young group of players to come together and, and be in an environment that's a little bit safer. Um, and now the challenge will be, a lot of them don't have experiences of playing in CONCACAF other than being when they were with the 17s or, or the 20s when they were a little bit younger. But now at the bigger level, can they, can they take their experiences of playing at high levels, of being good players at young ages, and put it together in a team where they can now go to environments like El Salvador, like Honduras, and find ways to get results in places where football isn't always the, the first topic, where often it's about the fight and the resilience and the commitment to do whatever it takes. But I do believe that, that this group of players has what it takes and that Greg is doing a good job in guiding them to where they need to go. So I'm super excited for this, this international window and I'm, I'm really hopeful that they're able to get three good results.
0: You were an assistant for the national team under Bob Bradley. I mean, as you think of your career long-term, not in any short-term way, but is, is U.S. men's national team head job kind of somewhere on that dream to-do list?
3: Yeah, I would hope so. I would hope so you know I would hope that there's a timing uh uh, there's timing where it comes together that that um there's people who believe that I'm the the right person to lead the national team that that believe my my coaching philosophies and my leadership philosophies are what we need um I don't know when that is I don't know what that would mean um in terms of timing again um But certainly, you know, being part of the national team as a player and as an assistant coach, I know how important the job is to the sport in our country. I appreciate how important it is, and I would love the opportunity to try and lead the group in a way that would represent the country and the fans and everything to the best of my abilities and to the best of our abilities. So, um, you know, I love the U.S., I love the American mentality, I love the our desire to try to be the best in every way and everything we do, even if it's naive sometimes. Um, and in our sport, uh, you know, I think there's so much more room for, for growth and potential. And yeah, of course that, that, that project is one that is incredibly interesting.
0: In your current gig though, uh, for the upcoming season, what are the expectations that you set forth for Leipzig?
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk around expectations always here and and RB Leipzig's uh, uh, expectations have grown over time. Um, You know, we've had a little bit of a tough start. We've, we have a brutal draw in Champions League, but that's nothing new for me. I I only know brutal draws. Um, But I, you know, I love being in these moments. I love being challenged, you know, and, and um, I believe that I'm at my best in those moments. And so, i'm being tested early (laughs) in that way and our next two games are at home against bayern and then in man city so you know i'm i'm continuing to try to build a a a foundation here in terms of a style of play that we want to play and then a a mentality that we want to have to be our best in the best games uh it's a it's a pleasure every day to work with such talented players um, it's a pleasure every day to come to work and work for such a great club and to be in, in a great league. And then to third year in a row to be in Champions League, you know, I feel like I'm growing every day as a leader and as a coach. So, um, you know, I came here to, to challenge myself and and yeah, I'm right in the middle of 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 that right now. So um, but yeah, my belief in this team and in this in this club is 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 so massive and again, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and a big honor to be here.
0: You mentioned Bayern Munich. A lot of the narrative or rhetoric that you hear about Bayern Munich is that their dominance in Germany is, is bad for the Bundesliga. Is there a case, though, to be made that having one of the best teams in the world in the Bundesliga is good for German football?
3: Yeah, of course. Bayern Munich is incredible for German football, right? I mean, even how it benefits the national team, is incredible it's a it's an it's a great club um you know with with so much history uh and I believe that the group of players that they have now is is one of the best that they've had in the history so um they've just taken some big pieces from us it, it always seems that Bayern Munich finds a way to strategically um cannibalize the league and and find a way to to take from the strong um but uh I also believe that we have a great group here and that that we can compete in the league, that we can compete against Bayern Munich. Um, It'll be a big match for us coming out of the international break at home to play against Bayern and to test ourselves in a big way. But I know our group will be up for it.
0: What's the approach for you guys? Because some teams I feel like could play Bayern Munich, sit back and, and try and get a result. I feel like that's not really allowed at Leipzig.
3: No, we won't do that. We will go after them, especially at home. You know and even uh, I played against them twice uh, with RB with Red Bull Salzburg um, and you know we were tested in a big way we lost both games but I thought we performed really well Um, and that's one of the big challenges here at Leipzig is finding ways to to beat the biggest opponents right the best teams we haven't had the best uh, record against Bayern Munich against Dortmund and so You know it's 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 one level of of fearlessness and mentality that we need to i think continue to build in our club but also knowing what it takes on the pitch tactically to still find ways to find advantages against the best team so it will be massive Uh, the coach knows our team very well we know them very well it will be a big challenge uh, a result that we could really use to gain momentum um and so I'm really looking forward to it I'm really looking forward to the challenge that it will be um and it's it's a little bit of a strange moment because most of our players come back two days before the game so the preparation that we're required to play against them we won't have a full week but in the end our guys know what Bayern Munich's about they they understand what we're about and it'll be about who's ready on the day to do whatever it takes to to find a way to get the result.
0: You knew Bayern would be on your schedule. You didn't know what your Champions League group draw would be. When you see Manchester City, when you see PSG, what's your reaction? Because we all saw Tyler Adams' reaction. It was on social media. What what happened in the uh, in the RB Leipzig coaching room?
3: There's always mixed emotions. Of course, when you look at the draw, you you want to find a draw that you think you can find a way to get out of and compete in the knockout stages. Again, I've only known draws where at the end of the day you see what the opponents are and you know that it's going to be incredibly difficult. But there's also a major excitement at being tested at the highest level of, of professional football. And so whether it was playing in Liverpool, in Bayern Munich, in Atletico Madrid, now it'll be in PSG, in Man City. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy, and and the fact that this is where I'm I'm at in my life that I have the opportunity to play against the best teams and the best coaches in the world, and to try to um, empower our team and our club to to play our best against the best opponents and find ways to get results. Again, I I only dreamed of these things twenty years ago, and even when I first came to Europe, I only dreamed of this opportunity to be in this situation. So. I always feel like let's go for it. Let's be at our best. Let's show who we are. And and then the more that we're able to do that, the more we're actually able to fight for the results. So um, big challenges ahead, but but I'm super excited.
0: Uh, as we sit down and speak to you here, and this will be the, my last question is September 1st, which means all the business uh, should be done. For you guys, uh, Elijah Moribak comes in. What kind of player do you think you're getting?
3: Yeah, I think we're getting a highly talented young player who still needs to develop a lot but has a lot of tools and confidence, I think, to, to be a, a big-time player. One of the things that I like about our football is we take often very talented young players who had big youth careers, and, and he was at La Masia, and, and we're a part of big youth development programs. And if we can teach them to play with our intensity and our mentality, then you can really access what their talent the potential of what their talent can be so you know i've seen this with count, countless players tyler adams and brendan Aronson we've already talked about but erling holland dominic Schoberschlei, pots Daka, taki minamino timo Werner, marcel sabitzer like you can go down the list of young players who were put into this kind of this idea of football and were able to blossom and grow into world stars and so that's the next one yeah it's the next uh, generation of young players and Elias will be i think a big part of that
0: Coach, we've taken up enough of your time. Thanks so much for the chat. Really appreciate it. Uh, good luck in the upcoming big games, and we'll see you soon here on Football América. All right, we'll save uh, our other arguments for Thursday's show. We'll be breaking down all of the action from across CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers, the U.S. against Honduras away, Mexico away against Panama, and as you see right there at the bottom of our screen, Taylor Twelman. We'll be back with us. Catch this edition of Football I'm Atticus, as always on the podcast for Herc. I'm Sebi. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you on Thursday.
1: Go. Let's go.
0: Leaked tape that led to one of the biggest scandals in sports and changed the NBA forever. A podcast that unearthed it all.
1: This
3: is just like what 2014 was Uh like. Like there's a lot of wild stuff happening. And
1: now a Hulu docudrama. TMZ was calling again and again and saying, we have a tape. Do you want to comment? 30 for 30 podcast presents the
5: Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clip. We reshot the scene and I could barely watch it because it was so uncomfortable. It was tough a companion podcast to the FX drama inspired by the award-winning reporting of Ramona Shelburne, one of ESPN's top NBA reporters,
0: an L.A. native, and someone who has been following the story from the moment it broke. Join Ramona as she sits down with the cast and crew of the show in spoiler-filled conversations and behind-the-scenes reaction to each episode.
5: Man, this is crazy, but these people live these lives every day. Donald Sterling, this was his lifestyle for a long time.
0: Listen to the Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clips